Welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jacob Saul from the Hockey News alongside Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. And our next guest is in Justin's backyard, actually. Newly named head coach of the Fort Wayne Commons, Jesse Kalicki. Jesse, how you doing? Yeah, great. Thanks for having me on, guys. No, sorry that you have to deal with Justin. It was his two days in a row now. I mean, did he follow you out after you left the podium, or I hope he didn't razz you too hard? Yeah, no. I think what I'm getting to hear is I'm I'm gonna see I'm gonna see a lot more of this guy. So uh, we're we're gonna be comfortable around each other uh, in the next little bit. Well, we're in off season mode, so we'll go easy on you. But appreciate um, it. Before we go any further, first, you know, congrats on the job. Um, how did this kind of come, you know, and also, sorry, congrats on the championship. Uh, J- Jesse just won back-to-back champions as an assistant coach with the Florida Everblades. How did this all come together? You know, obviously there's a short windows from one job to the next in hockey. That's normal, but take us through how this job kind of came together. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was strange because we were, we were still playing in the playoffs and, right. um, I think it was, uh, we were in the conference championship against Newfoundland when it got announced that uh, Ben uh, wasn't going to be returning and the Comets were going to be looking for a new coach. So um, for me, it was uh, it was kind of a weird spot with trying to stay focused on what we were doing and then um, understanding that there was a you know a premier job in our league available. So um, David and I, D- David Franke and I connected, and uh, you know David was great. He 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 said. Uh, you know, focus on winning a championship and we'll talk after. So, um, you know, that was good to me because I knew there was going to be a lot of people that were going to be reaching out for this job. And um, it was nice to uh, to even be considered. Uh, so we were, um, you know, we, we just went along and did our thing. And then uh, I think it was the, the day of the parade after we won, I got an email from David and he said, uh, hey, can we talk? Uh, um, so didn't uh you know was trying to balance uh, enjoying winning and uh also uh staying focused on on you know having a potential shot to get this job so um things things worked out and and uh here we are uh, not too long after and now your first steps you know this is a, a pivotal time season ending rosters are due soon you're going to sign players there's a roster you're probably largely unfamiliar with what's this kind of current week been like and and how are you juggling with that yeah, it's been uh, it's been uh, uh, organized chaos is probably <laughs> the best way to describe it. It's been uh, you know trying to uh, um, you know I've been up in Fort Wayne now for forty eight hours. I'm I'm leaving tomorrow to go back to Florida. Uh, you know, trying to we we got to sell our house and and uh, find a house up here and move and then all that while uh, trying to meet. Uh, players that that are on our roster uh, watch enough games that I feel comfortable talking to these guys about uh, where I feel like I need them or or the future that that I think um, they might have with us or uh, so it's been a a healthy combination of of trying to find new players and and you know the 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 truth is I mean there's no point denying it we're we're a little bit behind um, especially where uh, where other teams um some teams that didn't make the playoffs, they were done in April. And mm-hmm. as soon as they were done in April, they they got started on recruiting and finding new players. And and for us, um, you know, with, with myself playing longer than some other teams and then taking a little bit to get this job and get settled, we're we're uh, we're pounding the pavement. But fortunately the you know, David Franke and Olivier Legault, the assistant coach here, have done a 
a great job keeping this 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 machine rolling and uh, making communications with guys giving me names and um, you know Olivia and I have been pounding the the pavement today trying to make some communication make some inroads with guys. You touched on it a little bit, but um, you know why is this uh, you know such a premier job in, in your eyes? Obviously, it, it's a storied franchise and, and it won a lot of cups, but you know what was the particular appeal or, or fit for you with this job? Uh, yeah, I mean, if if I'm being honest, it's uh, it, it's resources. I mean, that our level is all about resources. Um, you know, sometimes that's uh, sometimes that's uh, you know the what we can do with uh, with recruiting and, and travel. And, and sometimes it's, it's money, our affiliation, like all those things come into play, the fan support. There's there's just so many things that, that come into making an ECHL franchise um, uh, attract, an attractive fit for players. So for us, it, you know, uh, David and, and Michael and Stephen Franke all do an amazing job of of giving the coaches and the players the the resources of what they need to be successful and and ultimately it, it comes down to us the staff the players of executing the goal of winning a kelly cup so um you know it, it really is i think there's there's probably three or four tiers in the echl i think there's like the the, the really elite high level teams and you know there's probably four or five teams in that division i think um, and for one of those jobs to become available, it's, it's, uh, and to get that job, it's extremely humbling. Um, and, uh, it's a huge honor to, uh, to be the coach of the Comets. You're, uh, replacing a coach, Ben Boudreau, who, uh, had a really successful four years, won a Kelly cup two years ago, never missed the playoffs. He replaced a very successful coach, Gary Graham, who made two conference finals, never missed the playoffs in six years. So, that seems to set the bar incredibly high as to what the expectations are here. Um, I mean, do you feel that way? And and if so, how do you, how do you handle that as a, as a young coach coming in? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I said this yesterday that, uh, you know, the, I, I know what the comments are all about and, and what we want to do. And, um, but for me, I mean, there's not a single person that's going to put more pressure on winning than myself. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I've, uh, you know, I've been a winner at every level. I've, I've, I've won in the SBHL. I've won in the ECHL. And um, I take winning very, very seriously. I, I coached with down in Florida, Brad Ralph, who, in my opinion, is he, he might be the best coach in, in all of minor league hockey. And I, and I say that genuinely and sincerely. And, um, you know, I, it's, it, we, we took winning very, very seriously. And um, for me, it's, um, winning is a byproduct of, of what we're trying to do. You know, we're trying to build a team the right way. We're trying to play the right way. We're, we're trying to do everything that we can to um, take care of the result. So, you know, I, I think for me, it, it's just going along and, and trying to check steps, you know, one, two, three, four, five, and then we'll, we'll get to that point down the road. But, you know, right now we're, we're trying to build a team that, that we think can have long-term success longevity and, and have a chance to win every year you know jesse you're 33 years old third youngest uh in fort wayne 72 year history and some of the other candidates for the job were in their 50s and 60s but with that said you know obviously you still have eight years of coaching experience and there's that stuff that you know you're not an inexperienced coach but is there almost kind of 
either an advantage or disadvantage with the age? Like, do you, do you think you weaponize it and kind of are able to connect with players more? Or how do you feel with that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny, you know, I I keep hearing all these stats about my age and everything. And, you know, <laughs> I've, been, I've been coaching for eight years, so I don't feel young. Yeah. I, I, the gray hairs or no hairs, it's coming. I know it. Yeah. So it's uh, with this job, it's a... Uh, it's a, uh, it's, it's a lot. Um, you know, I, I think for me, I've, uh, I, I, I believe that, uh, you know, connecting with players, it doesn't matter if I'm 60 or 70 or 20. I mean, it's connecting with players is about taking the time to have conversations and taking the time to relate with them on a personal level. I mean, yeah, it, it doesn't matter. You just you have to be willing to, to leave your office and sometimes get out from behind the computer and uh, do a lap in the locker room and, and connect with these guys about things other than hockey. Um, and so for me, you know, I, I think I'm a, I'm a somewhat personable guy um, and uh, I, I like to get to know our, our players and um, find out what makes them tick. And, 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 you know, sometimes it's it's helping them with personal issues or whatnot. But um yeah, the age thing is, you know, I think everybody says it's just just a number, and that's all it is to me. I mean, when we get behind the bench, um, the players don't care if I'm if I'm 20 or if I'm 60. That's all they care about is if I can find a way to help them win and help them uh, further their career. So, I think that's how I look at it, at least. Hey, look, if, if 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 the beat writer is is 14 years older than you, you're young. I just want to be clear <laughs> on that. You can deny it all you want. Oh. But it, if the other host is 10 years younger than you, then you're old, Justin. So now we're in a freaking sandwich here. <laughs> I mean, yes. I'm always the old guy in the room, but now I'm really the old guy in the room. Yeah. It's never going to change, man. Hey, let me. we want to ask you about your starting coaching. But before that, you know, you went from being goalie in the junior A ranks right to the SPHL. How did that happen? And it wasn't an e-buck situation because you stuck around for a while. What went on there? Uh, Yeah, there was, uh, you know, I, I, I had a, a good junior career and, uh, Fort McMurray and, um, you know, school was, school was always an option and, and, uh, you know, for, for a number of different reasons it uh, you know, things, things didn't play out that way. And, um, you know, ended up going to the, to the SPHL. I was, uh, was a very average goalie. Um, but, uh, I was an excellent teammate. I'll say that I was a good glue guy, <laughs> Blue guy. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I loved playing. I, I loved being, uh, I loved being uh, on winning teams, um, and for me, you know, I I, I played in a couple different spots, but uh, you know, uh, we really found a found a nice home there in, in Alabama for for a number of years, and um, you know, it just ended up being a really good fit for me on a personal level. Can you tell us the story about how you got into coaching? I know you told me yesterday, but you you were 25, you were playing in Huntsville. Uh, how did you transition over to coaching? Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I was, so I just finished, uh, we just finished the year in Huntsville. We, uh, it, it, I didn't have a great year personally, and I didn't know what, uh, you know, going into my exit meeting, I, um, I had a younger, uh, goalie partner that year with me that, that had a, he had a good year and he was probably the, the future of the team. And, um, I knew it was probably going to be a different role for me or, or pushed out and have to go somewhere else. And, so I went into that exit meeting, not really knowing what to expect and, um, you know, probably a little bit disappointed of, of what I was going to hear. And um, I, uh, I ended up the, the head coach of that team, Glenn DiTullio, who is still, uh, you know, he, he coached me and he turned out to be a, 
you know, he's one of my best friends now. Um, but he, he asked me if I'd ever have any interest in coaching and, um, I was still in player mode, so it didn't even cross my mind because that's all I was thinking about was where I was going to have to move to next to, to keep playing. And, um, uh, when I spoke with Glenn, he, he laid it all out for me and, and said, you know, this is an opportunity to, uh, to make a career out of something. And, uh, you know, this job isn't going to, it's not going to wait for me because as you guys know, the, the, the coaching position waits for nobody The the train keeps rolling, no matter, uh, no matter who you are or where you coach, the, the business keeps rolling. So um, I ended up uh, taking the position and uh, learned an ex- a huge amount from Glenn. Uh, you know, we were able to rebuild that team together and three years later uh, win a championship. And um, I'll, I'll be forever, forever grateful to Glenn and his family for, you know, he really built the foundation of, of who I am as a coach. So, uh, as you said, won a championship as an assistant in Huntsville. Then you take over at Fayetteville, which uh, you, you resurrected that team, took them from the cellar to, in your second year, I was just looking up the stat here, 31-6-9 and nine, uh, before, before the pandemic uh, suspended play. Um, looking back, that's got to be painful to have that sort of record and not get to to see it through and do want to note that you won coach of the year that year, but, but looking back, I mean, that's, that's gotta be almost rough. Yeah. It's uh, you know, I, I, yeah, the funny thing is, I think uh, when the COVID happened and canceled that season, we had uh, Peoria, the Rivermen were in town in Fayetteville. And uh, I believe we had the exact same amount of points um, at the time of the cancellation. And it was, it was, uh, you know, two teams that were, they were ready to go and, and we were ready to see, you know, where we stood up in, in the grand scheme of things. So, um, you know, we, we definitely would have had a chance that year and it's, uh, it's disappointing, but, um, you know, what in the grand scheme of things, uh, COVID affected a lot of people's lives and, uh, you know, for, for me to sit up here and, and, and cry wolf about, uh, you know, not getting a chance to win a championship, it, it would be uh, a little selfish of me. So, um, you know, it, it happened and it was disappointing, um, but I had a phenomenal group of players and um, it was uh, it was really special because of that, you know, the Fayetteville team when I took over was we, we had some work to do. And I'm extremely proud of of what we you know, what we did as an organization. And, you know, I still think that uh, that team has done an excellent job of, of being a, a powerhouse in the SPHL. And I'm, I'm extremely proud of that. And your you know, your ability to recruit players. Um, to Fayetteville and graduate them to ECHL was obviously, you know, a big part of that and should go on your resume. But in the ECHL, it's got to be a different animal, the recruiting. Like how, how much, how much recruiting did you even do as an assistant in the ECHL? Like what's that like? Yeah, it's, it's a, yeah. The recruiting from the SPHL level to the ECHL level is a, it's a totally different animal. I mean, you know, now you're working with, uh, you're working with your American league team and, you know, every single player coming out wants an American League contract and um, think they deserve it. And, um, you know, we're trying to balance how many of those we can get. And, um, you know, an ECHL salary cap is, is different than an SPHL salary cap. And, um, you know, it just is a totally different animal. And, um, you know, Brad, Brad Ralph in Florida does an unbelievable job recruiting with the, with Craig Brush, the GM there. And um, I would say I would say like anything, it's a no one person can do this job. I mean, it's, uh, 
it's just too much. So for recruiting, it's usually, uh, you know, you're trying to make multiple contacts with guys and, and sell them on why they should come play for you. So, um, you know, I think Olivier's done a great job. David, David's done a great job communicating with guys and, and myself. So you're just trying to hit them from every angle and find something that, uh, that really makes them feel like they should come play for you. You know, in Florida, you spent three years, we mentioned, two, two Kelly Cups, um, worked with Brad Ralph. What were your specific responsibilities? Were you running the defense, the special teams? What was your mantra? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, specifically, you know, I ran the D during games and, and Ralphie ran the forwards. And then after that, you know, Ralphie and I always said it was a it was a two man barbecue uh, between <laughs> between the two of us. It was uh, I mean, barbecue. It, it was everything like. You know, we, Ralphie and I, I spent more time with Ralphie than, uh, than I did my wife. I mean, it was, we, uh, you know, he's a, we, we did everything together. Um, you know, he was very, uh, I mean, for him to, to allow me to come in and, and, uh, you know, give me the trust to, uh, to, uh, do all the things I did was, it was amazing, you know, so, uh, power play, uh, penalty kill, pre-scouts, um, everything i mean we we did it all together and um i think it made me a better coach um you know ralphie taught me so much and uh you know maybe a little bit during that time maybe i taught him one thing or two probably not he's 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 so smart he's a guy's a genius but uh maybe i taught him one thing so uh you know it's it, it was awesome I, I forever grateful uh let's talk a little bit about that run that the everblades had uh particularly in the postseason came in as a fourth seed, knocked off a bevy of heavyweights. I shouldn't admit this to you publicly, I guess, but I had picked South Carolina to win the Kelly Cup. You take them down in the first round, then roll through Jacksonville, Newfoundland, which is obviously now a great rivalry uh, to watch from afar, Newfoundland, Florida, and then, of course, uh, the Idaho Steelhead. So uh, I, I guess just to put it bluntly, what changed when the postseason started? Well, let's be honest, Justin. Did you pick us in any of those series? Well, was there anyone where you're like, hey, okay, I'm going to pick Florida to go through? I wish I could. Well, you see, I only, I've got a good excuse. I only picked them going into the playoffs. Oh, but, yeah, uh, yeah so, so I've got a good, good out there. He's, but, well, he's but, well versed in these false predictions. Just so you know. but, but I will say that I had going into the playoffs, I picked Idaho to lose to Toledo. So I think I would have picked you to beat Idaho. Okay. All right. If that makes Fair any enough. sense. Fair enough. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, I mean, I, I think that, uh, listen, did we, 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 it was a hard year. I mean, it was a grind. We, uh, the South division was, uh, it was a gauntlet. I mean, it was a gauntlet every game, every night, our whole division was, uh, was good. I mean, I think Atlanta was the fifth place team in our division and, if I'm not mistaken, they might have finished top 12 in the league overall standings, like something ridiculous like that, and they didn't make the playoffs. You know, so um, for for our division, there was no easy nights. And, um, you know, we, we had uh, – we, we had to uh, – you know, we basically rebuilt our roster at the trade deadline. Uh, that was probably the reason that, uh, that our season got saved. You know, we made uh, – we made four, four probably really huge moves. Um, and then, you know, getting John McCarron back, 
was, uh, you know, it's never a bad thing when you get one of the top players in the league back with who's fresh and um, not tired out. And then, um, you know, you have a goalie like Cam Johnson when he flips a switch, uh, you know, give me Cam, give me Cam any day of the week. And uh, I think I'll have a chance to win. So um, it was a gauntlet, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm just really proud of our guys and, and uh, how hard they fought. And I don't think anybody picked us. Uh, I don't think anybody picked us in any series and, and that was okay, you know, uh, but uh, it, people wanted to bet against us, you know, just coming off a cup with, uh, I think we had nine guys returning. I mean, I think the Vegas odds, uh, people maybe made some money off of us, maybe. Was there any elements of that, though, that, that you guys had won the cup the year before? And, you know, was it harder to get them, you know, going or as motivated during the regular season? Any element of that? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, there's, as a coach, there's always a question after you win, um, there's always a question after you win with your guys coming back. Are are the returning guys willing to go down that road again? Because it takes so much out of you. Like what the guys go through in the playoffs, I mean, it's it it's incredible what they do and what they go through playing every second night and and playing an extra 25 games in essentially a month and a half. Like it's it is a grind. The travel going to and from Newfoundland and and then going from Newfoundland to Idaho, like across the country, it, it, it's a grind. And then, you know, I think there's a question of the returning guys with the new guys. They 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 wonder, are the young guys willing to go down that road? Are they good enough? Can they do it? So it's funny how championship teams work the next year because there's always that the, the young guys are wondering, are the old guys willing to do it again? And are the old guys, the old guys are wondering, can the new guys get it done? So it's a it's a funny combination um, of how that works, and and eventually uh, it's either going to click or it's not. And uh, we were lucky that uh, that it found a way to uh, to work for us. Well, we um, we scared off our guest. No, I'm kidding. Power outage in Fort Wayne. Um, luckily, uh, it appears that Jesse won't have to shack up with Justin. Um, that was our, our alternate plan. But thank you again to Jesse Kalecki for joining us. Great to have one of the rising star young coaches at the ECHL join us in his, his very non-traditional path. And nice to get him on before he gets to really know Justin because I think we'll probably get the most from him. Um, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, usually, be in a couple months. usually it takes people, you know, much longer to realize that they need to hang up on me. I mean, it's not usually, you know, the first 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 day or two. This is a record for you, man. I'm proud of you. And also, did he? Do you think he listened to the show? Like, how did the predictions thing? Like, does he know that you're notorious for predictions? Or I don't think just, so. You know, that's he, even funnier. Something I do know is that he really stays off social media. Um, you know, and he sort of touched on that a little bit about getting off the computer and, and going and making sure you. That's talk why players. he left. That's yeah. why he left. Um, but but the one thing that we didn't get to that I did sort of want to ask was, and you know, we've talked about you know, my belief that the South is probably the, the toughest division right now. Right. But mm -hmm. it's still, you know, over the history uh, or at least the last five years, it was clearly the central division. And I do wonder if he fully knows what he's getting into. I mean, you know, Toledo, Fort Wayne, you know, that's kind of like Michigan, Ohio state and football a little bit. Like if you could go in there and beat Toledo 13 times, it really doesn't matter what you did the rest of the season. So, 
I, I'm very interested. Like he used the word gauntlet in referring to the South Division. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very much a, a gauntlet in the Central Division. So I hope he's been educated on on what he's in for because there's there's a lot of tough hockey. There's a lot of tough games. There's a lot of interest, and I think that's going to be a little bit different for for him compared to the vibe in the South. Speaking of new coaches, uh, the coaching carousel, Dan Watson has left Toledo for greener pastures, the Grand Rapids Griffins, the AHL. So now there's another job wide open in the ECHL with Toledo. I should say this job's got quite a bit of history, right? Because Watson graduated up. Derek Lalonde had that job too, right? Yes, correct. He's now with Detroit. Uh, You know, whether it's the organization or not, obviously ECHLs were a lot of, if not, Close to half, I think, of NHL coaches have coached at some point, or a third, maybe. Um, quite a few have over the years. Um, any guesses as to who could be next in Toledo? Well, I mean, first off, let me say, I, it's I. this is why I think it was important that Fort Wayne locked down Jesse Kalicki when they did, because, you know, they were pretty far into the process, and you have to believe that he would have been high on Toledo's list. And when right. you have two arch rivals, flagship franchises in the same division with yeah. coaching openings. It was a really interesting situation. Um, you know, I, I do believe, even though I've read that they're going to kind of be a little hands off. I mean, I, I think when it comes to Toledo, you have to get tons of input and maybe even let the Detroit Red Wings totally. you know, dr- drive the car a little bit there. So you know, I, the obvious name is Alden Hirschfeld, who was Dan Watson's assistant. Um, he's still pretty young, though. Uh, you know, I, I had him pretty high on the list of potential Fort Wayne coaches. I, I, I heard that, the, that he was in the mix. I don't know if they ever reached out and, and interviewed him or anything like that. But, but he's the obvious name. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the interesting thing is Brendan Kotick, who coached South Carolina and did such a great job. You know, he was a Dan Watson disciple, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that you could somehow pry him from South Carolina, but if all of this had happened a year earlier, that might have made an interesting situation. So, you know, I don't know. I, I think some of the names that I had pitched in Fort Wayne would make some sense. Um, but, you know, like one of the big names, though, was was uh, Simon, who was up in Grand Rapids. So that doesn't make any sense since they're affiliated with Toledo. That probably no. takes Matt McDonald out of the mix there too. Um, I'll tell you a name that uh, I heard somewhere might be out there was Greg Gilbert, uh, former NHL coach. I don't know if, you know, maybe he'd be a guy that they would look at. Um, Steve Martinson is out there. Uh, he is one, I believe it's eight cups in the minor leagues. Most recently with Allen, I have a hard time picturing him in Toledo, but He's like a guy that you have to talk to because he's won so much. And if he's still interested in coaching, but you know, Toledo, they usually go younger. They usually, I just think, you know, Iserman and all those guys, they're going to be Sean Horkoff. They're going to be dialed into somebody. So, well, it's probably a good thing too, right? Because if you're like from Toledo's point of view, if you've got Horkoff and Iserman, not only giving their input, but possibly kind of helping in recruiting a, young blossoming coach whatever it may be that's great you could find yourself getting a really really good coach because of it right like if you they sell them on hey there's opportunity to move up to grand rapids as an assistant whatever it may be someone could be more inclined to come than they would if it was just say not uh like only the easy coaching job but i more so mean if there was an opportunity to move up they may be less inclined yeah i mean 
Look, it, uh, we just we just talked about why Fort Wayne's a good job. I, I could absolutely argue that Toledo might be a better job because sure. of the facilities, the fans, the resources, but because of the infrastructure they have with the Red Wings. And as we right. see guys moving up, you know, if that's the goal, as it is for all these coaches, you know, you could argue that Toledo is the best head coaching job in the league. You can you can make that argument. So, um, you know, I think they're going to have kind of their their pick of the litter of who they mm-hmm. want. But, uh, you know, who that's going to be, I don't know. <laughs> so let's, you know, move on to some other ECHL related news last night or the, the time of recording. So it was on Wednesday night. The Hershey Bears defeated the Coachella Valley Firebirds in the AHL Finals to Calder Cup. And the playoff MVP was none other than Bears goaltender Hunter Shepard. Shepard, who's 27, is in his first full East, uh, AHL season. Last year's was South Carolina. The Stingrays uh, had a 9.17 save percentage in 23 games. Very, very, uh, you know, story, picturesque story in the minor leagues. you got a guy that moves up. Struggled a bit, but was able to persevere against a very stacked Coachella team. Uh, Shepard kind of came out of the woodwork, and what a great story, uh, especially from ECHL alum. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that I saw a lot up close two years yeah. ago. He was with South Carolina. They played Fort Wayne in the Kelly Cup Finals. Uh, Fort Wayne ended up winning that series. It was a great goaltending battle. Hunter Shepard for South Carolina, Dylan Ferguson for Fort Wayne. Um, and I, I couldn't help but sort of chuckle a little bit thinking about how different it must have been for him playing in these finals compared to the the Kelly Cup finals because that was 2021 it was the pandemic we've talked about it a little bit before there was crazy stuff going on in those playoffs they were playing uh, those finals went into July and because they went into July you know we were playing with all sorts of cockamamie things going on like they had to play games in the finals in South Carolina's practice arena. I mean, just the whole, the whole vibe was just off. So for him to, to go into this scene and it was just, you know, just chaotic and, and the, the atmosphere just looked great in all those games. It must've been such a, a different, you know, dare I say better experience for him, but you know, you could tell two years ago, you know, he had the tools to be a really good goalie. He's now 27 goalies usually mature a little bit later so he's probably, you know, getting right into his wheelhouse now. And and if you look at that that Hershey roster, I mean, it's just littered with some ECHL guys. I mean, Zach Fukali, that's a guy I covered in Fort Wayne. Uh, you know, he there was the go. backup, you know, and obviously he's gone on to, to play in the NHL. Uh, so, you know, a lot of great nuggets there and, you know, just further proof of something that we talk about a lot, that if you want to see – the best prospects in the ECHL, you you start with the goalies. Those are the guys that are going to move up. They're going to win Calder Cups. They're going to win Stanley Cups. So, you know, a great story with, with Hunter Shepard there. And another guy I did want to mention just because, I mean, there's a lot of ECHL guys, but I started looking at it and I forgot he was there, is Nick Bootland is the assistant coach with uh, Hershey. Now, Nick Bootland, if you're an ECHL guy, he was a longtime coach and captain of the Kalamazoo Wings. And – you know, he he never got quite got it done over the last few years with Kalamazoo. And uh, it was sort of a, a, an awkward exit in which the fans kind of, I don't know, some of them were split. Like they were ready for him to move on because they, they felt like they needed new blood, needed a change there. But he goes, moves up to the AHL, ends up winning a Calder Cup in his first year. That's pretty awesome, too, for him. And one more guy I wanted to mention before we move on, Jeremy McKenna. 
player that you know he was with the Growlers um, last season, point per game player was a key contributor for them. Was with Kansas City this year, forty three points in thirty six games. Ends up with Coachella Valley, earns a, a regular spot in the regular season, but then in the playoffs, he really became a premier contributor. Twelve points in eighteen games, definitely someone I could see taking a step and and moving up the pro ladder as well. All right, before we end today's show, let's go to coast to coast. And first, we're going to start with some big names that are either moving overseas or signing to the AHL. Let's start with Hank Crone, the MVP. Yeah, I mean, look, we talked about him last week that we thought he he, he had all the tools to move up somewhere. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's going to the AHL. I I mean, I don't think that's shocking in any uh, stretch of the imagination. makes a lot of sense. You know, the question is a guy that is so offensively talented at this level, is he going to be defensively responsible enough at the next level? That's always the question for me. And, uh, you know, one, when you look at the list of guys, they're already moving on to the AHL or Europe. We have the top three rookie scores from the ECHL last year, Hank Crone, Alex Iarulo and Max Newton all moving on. So, you know, it's a developmental league. Sometimes the fans forget that. You know, sometimes they're like, oh, gosh, we're going to lose Alex Iarulo. Well, this is the point. You know, this is what they're yeah. here to do. Um, you know, some other big names just from recently, Ty Felliber, a guy we talked about last week. Uh, he is signed with the Milwaukee Admirals. Uh, he had played with them last year. I think he's going to be an excellent player up there. Drake Rimshaw, uh, who was in Fort Wayne, also um, had a cup of coffee with the Los Angeles Kings. He's going overseas to Slovakia. So we're starting to see those uh, those wheels turn a little bit uh, with players moving on to other teams. Um, you know, a couple of uh, uh, one affiliation thing we should mention the Buffalo Sabres not renewing with the Cincinnati Cyclones. That feels very weird. Um, I don't know offhand how many years they had been together. It felt like forever because every year you would sit there and think, oh boy, the Cyclones, they're going to get stacked with those Buffalo players. So mm-hmm. that's going to be a real change of scenery, especially in the Central Division there. Absolutely. Future considerations seem to be considered. <laughs> yeah, you had to, you had to wrap up all those uh, future consideration deals uh, right. this week. So we did see some big names move on. Uh, one of the big ones that stood out to me was Chaz Redekop, who went from Savannah, where he looked very good last season, and his rights now go to Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo was the unusual team that actually dumped a lot of players at the trade deadline. Uh, Logan Lambden, uh, who was with Florida, a great example of that. Uh, so you don't see teams do that a lot, but Kalamazoo raked up with a lot of guys at future considerations. Um, Want to mention uh, some sad news. David G. Elmore, the longtime owner of the Utah Grizzlies, he died recently at the age of 88. Um, you know, aside from the the obvious sadness of that and somebody who's, who's done a lot, I mean, that team stretching back to the IHL days was always a flagship franchise. But I do want to circle it back to we've had the conversations. Could Salt Lake City maybe end up landing an NHL team? Um, does this clear that path a little bit easier? That's, you know, not to think morbidly, but, you know, I do think it factors in when the, the owner of the team dies. That you have to wonder what the future of that team is going to be a little bit, too. Um, and, you know, we should mention that this week uh, teams can start signing players. It starts Friday. Um, you know, we'll probably get into that a little bit more next week. But just a quick thought from you. If you are building an ECHL team, where do you think you start? Is there a position? Is there uh, a mentality that you have? For me, I mean, I think most people are going to say goalie. 
But for me, the thing that you have to do first is you have to lock down the rookies that you found from last year. That's what I found the successful teams do. So in other words, Fort Wayne, if they brought in a guy from UNB, New Brunswick, which they tend to do, and they come out and they play really well, you have to figure out the path for that guy, the path for keeping that guy. Because what a lot of them do is they go to Europe or they, they toy around with other teams. And so in Fort Wayne, one of the things they do, and I think I used the example Mark Rassel last week, is you go to your AHL affiliate and say, hey, see this guy we found? You want to take a look at him in your training camp? Great. We're going to tell him that he's going to go to your training camp, and because of that, he's going to re-sign with us, or you're going to sign him for us. So to me, when Jesse Kalicki gets his, you know, gets going here, that's probably one of the first things he's doing, is he's looking at the roster and saying, who are these young guys that I need to lock down immediately? And then mm-hmm. you start worrying about the goalies and whatnot. But other people could look at it differently. They say, no, I got to get Cam Johnson locked down first. I would have said veterans, but I mean... I can understand what you're saying about the younger guys. I would think that the veterans would be kind of pillars, especially felt like it's a foundation and just kind of at this point when you're trying to get guys not to go to Europe and whatnot, that's what I would guess. Um, but unfortunately, I think we've run out of time for today, um, for today's show. Thank you again to Jesse for joining us. And yeah, we, we've got lots uh, to talk about this offseason. I'm sure we'll get into a lot of roster building and free agency and all that kind of stuff. But until next time, we'll see you on next episode of the Hawk News on the E presented by BetMGM. And until then, we'll see you later.